folks. Welcome back to On the Mic with Mike Peters. My guest this week is the very funny Binghamton comedian, Holly Griffin, who is the only comedian my mom has known 22 years longer than I have. Incredible. Uh, I don't actually know how old Holly is. I never asked that. But my mom taught her in kindergarten, which until this interview, I forgot all about. So that's a neat little element. Holly is a trooper. We talked for like an hour and 20 minutes prior to the interview because I had to set something up and my computer wasn't working and I'm an idiot. Either of those three, all of those three, whatever. But she's super fun. I'm glad she put up with my idiocy, as you all do every week. So I appreciate that. Thank you, guys. I appreciate you listening. Please like, share, subscribe, tell your friends. I don't even care anymore. That's not true. I care deeply. I need all the validation in the world. So does Holly. We talk about it, too. Enjoy it. I will talk to you guys next week. Take care. Peeling back my sunburnt skin I'll wait outside your bedroom I, I hope they let me in Thank you for being here. Of course, yeah. This is an ordeal because I'm just going to let everybody in. We tried to record this, what, two hours ago. We spent about an, We spent as long as a normal episode would take to record trying to get it to record. Yeah, I mean, we were just catching up, honestly, but it was it was full of frustration and uh, some grunts and uh, didn't get that shit working. And now we're back. We're refreshed. We feel great. Frustration and grunts sounds just like my sex life. All right. Well, thanks for taking it there. <laughs> <laughs> Normally, I'm the person that takes it there, and I, I didn't. Well, I, I, I wanted to beat you, so I got, okay, I, got I got you. you. But this is the first time I think we've spoke. I haven't seen your face in like four months. It's been and a long time. And you live maybe seven miles from me. Yeah, it's not that far. Well, I live in Kirkwood right now, so it's probably further. But uh, we do live within, you know, relative proximity. And we, I don't know, I'm, with the virus going on, I never even thought like, hey, let's see if Mike Peters wants to hang out. I was like, eh, I'll see him at an open mic when I see him. <laughs> <laughs> I wonder how many people have been like, man, I really miss Mike Peters. I'm going to guess like three people. And those are my parents. Those are my parents. And, and they're obligated to say that. Right. Of course. I mean, I did. I think I messaged you on Facebook once, uh, but that was after three months of not seeing you. That's true. I, so I took I took a three month break, and then I thought, man, I wonder what Mike's up to. So that if you ever if you wonder, that's how long it takes for me to miss you. Well, and it's funny because like I this is how my brain works. I had a list of people that I want to get on this podcast, and I'm like, okay, well this week I'm gonna I'm gonna ask Holly Griffin, and because it's been a while since I had somebody from Binghamton on this, and I'm like, all right, I miss her, and I want to get her story too. And normally, if you messaged me and said, hey, can I do this? I'd be like, even if I wanted to be on here, I'd be like, nah. I want it to be my idea, and I had him. I had in my mind, okay, I'm going to ask Holly, and then you sent me a message yesterday saying, "Hey, I listened to this Brian Walsh episode," and I'm in my head, I'm like, "Why would you do that? He's awful." And then you're yeah. like, <laughs> and then you're like, "Oh, thank you for saying nice things." And I said, "Oh, do you want to do this?" So it kind of worked out. Like I was going to ask you anyway, and uh, you didn't ask, so that was that's good. awesome. No, I'm, I'm glad. I um, I would never do that. I, I I'm never the kind of person that's like, uh, "Hey, I see that you're doing something really cool, and I would like to be a part of that." Um, I'll sit back. And I'll, I'll wait for you to, you know, I was kind of waiting for you to get uh, into a place where you were like comfortable with it, you know, because starting a podcast is a nightmare. And uh, I was like, I'm going to wait and I'm going to see 
uh, how this thing goes. And then, you know, when I looked and saw how many episodes you had, it's like, you know, you said like 30, 35, some shit like that. I, I was like, wow, this is really in motion. And you mentioned me on one of them. And, and so that's what prompted me to reach out. But when you started doing it, I was like, it's, it's only a matter of time before Mike asks me, right? That'd be cool. That'd be cool to do. And then it didn't come. And I was like, that's fine. That's fair. <laughs> this is the way my brain works. Like I have almost zero self-esteem. So when you said, <laughs> oh, well, it's only a matter of time. I filled in the blank. I'm like, before Mike quits, before this fails. No, 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 no. <laughs> I, would, I would never think that of you. I, uh, the thing about me is that I look up to everyone in comedy so much, uh, even the bad ones. So that works out for you, right? <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> now, if, if you will promise to insult me all the way through, I'll have to do like half the work. Of course. No, I've, I've listened. So in preparation of this, I've listened to episodes and I'm hearing how mean people are to you. And I'm like, well, maybe he likes it. And uh, then I started to do it and I realized just how easy it is to be mean to you. And I think that's why people do it. It's like the easiest form of comedy is being mean to Mike Peters. Yeah, I remember. uh, And I've said this on the podcast, too. But I remember when I started working at a nursing home, I was like the youngest person there, you know, residents included. And uh, (laughs) I I was the butt of everybody's jokes. And I I was like, at one point, I'm like, went to this guy, Bill. I'm like, hey, man, like, I got to ask, why are you guys making fun of me? And he said, Peters, think of it this way. If we didn't make fun of you, we wouldn't talk to you at all. So, I think you've told me that before. Yes, yeah, absolutely. So like that, I think, set the tone for my adulthood. It's like, <laughs> I'm just going to be, you know, the people's punching bag. And I'm good with that. Man, I wonder why your self-esteem is so low. Um, I don't know. I've, I don't know. I've always thought, why doesn't he have more confidence? And then, you know, I hear a story like that and I go, okay. <laughs> <laughs> You're a very anxious person, right? I am. Absolutely. I'm okay. nervous about everything, everything in my life. So how the hell did you get the nerve to get on stage? So uh, when I was in high school, I was really into music and um, <clears throat> I joined band and I joined a lot of like, uh, like rock bands, like we'd get together or whatever. And um, part of that is performing. Uh, so getting over those nerves kind of earlier in life when I was, you know, 15 or 16, um, not that I'm over them. Uh, I'm still insanely nervous, but getting out there and then realizing that the validation that I I get for putting myself out there is greater than the negativity that I feel from being in front of people. That's, that's really how I got started was that, you know, I think there's something broken inside all of us who choose to do comedy that, uh, we, we seek the validation of others. And um, that's that's what I'm chasing. Absolutely. I wonder if that broken piece ever gets fixed because of comedy. Fuck no. No, <laughs> like, there's no because, way. Like, I know. Like I just did my second show back like and I'll go up there with, with jokes that I've got rehearsed and I really feel confident about. I'm like, oh, people are going to love this. And then it tanks. And I'm like, what the hell am I doing? Like, all I wanted was a little validation. And now I've got 20 faces going, what the fuck? Yeah, I paid no, to see this. Uh, That's a really good feeling. I actually really like that because I like to feel bad about myself, honestly. I think it's funny because I really do think that my life is one of the biggest jokes. And so when I go out and I fail, I I go, well, not only have I got a story, I've provided entertainment, regardless of the fact that it was negative, to myself and to another couple of people in the audience going, this is going so horribly that it's actually funny. So I take that as a positive. I'm like, "That, that was a win. Last night, I got heckled by somebody who works at Walmart. And I'm not saying that people from Walmart are bad, but Mm. that's still, I was like, wow, okay. 
Here's where I am in life. Working in Walmart is a, it's a battle zone, I think. And so you have to be an aggressive kind of person to work in a Walmart or else people will walk all over you. You've got to be ready to, to stab someone or get stabbed to work in a Walmart. And I think that's the mentality that a heckler has of, uh, I am ready to get stabbed or stab someone. Well, the good thing is if you need a knife, you can get it at Walmart. Oh, absolutely. You can get anything at Walmart. Yeah, I think I ad-libbed something that she said. And I'm like, oh, it's aisle 17, or the mask. I'm like, oh, you can get a mask in aisle 17. And she yells, actually, that's by the cash register. And I'm like, like that fucking matters. What a dumb fuck. All right. Basically. But got her money. So whatever. <laughs> you sure did. You won. You got her Walmart bucks. <laughs> I know. That I should just charge them in like Walmart gift certificates. Well, that's you fine. Should. I'll take that. <laughs> can't buy a sense of humor at walmart though mike that's that might be the only thing right you started what about two years ago about two years ago so next month it'll be two years um which the only reason i remember that is because hal stewart and i were on the, on the exact same open mic it was our very first time and he had posted something last year which was a picture from his first open mic being like hey it's been a year since my first open mic and i saw that and i was like Oh, shit. I have no concept of time. Yeah. The only reason I know it's been that long is because of Hal, like seeing him post about it. And I'm I, not sure I, if that means that I'm not serious about it, but I, I am serious about it. I just, uh, my brain is a cloud. I don't remember things at all. I hope he's listening because that's the first and maybe only nice thing anybody will ever say about Hal. That's fine. <laughs> I, I, Hal, I really like that you post things on Facebook that remind me of my own life. And that's about it. <laughs> he's got two cats. He's fine. Yeah, oh, he's yeah. doing great. Oh, yeah. Also a wife and a stepson, but whatever. He's got the two cats. That's, yeah. We, we care about cats on this podcast. You are, I think, the only... No, you're not the only guest I've ever had who's been at my house, but you met my cats. And yes. uh, do you remember that meeting at all? Like, was it significant in your life? It really was because um, I know how much you love Dennis. You adore him. And he yep. hated me. And that was uh, really significant for me. It was. Yeah, well, he and I talked before you came over, and I'm like, okay, well, remember. Well, to know that there's no someone, no good. There's someone that likes you so much, and I consider myself to be likable, and that he didn't like me at all. I was like, maybe Mike has something. I don't know that I can't see. <laughs> yeah, food. <laughs> food. All the food. <laughs> at any given point, I will have at least. I would say 45 pounds of food in the house. Okay. Like yeah. they have an entire cupboard full of wet food. They've got a cupboard full of dry food. And then the closet in the cat's bedroom, they have their own fucking bedroom. The closet is full of food. So they're good. That's I why they love me. I don't even treat myself that well. Me I'll neither. Go, I'll go grocery shopping once a week and I'll buy oatmeal and yogurt. And I'm like, I'm set. Yeah. I don't, I cook, I don't care. I cook them liver for dinner and I'll, you know, put a, a Tony's pizza in the oven for me. Like that's it. Like I'll eat like a like an animal, and they're gonna eat like kings. It's uh, it's very clear where the love in your life goes. Pretty much, my dad will call me. He called me one day. He goes, "Hey, how's Dennis doing?" I'm like, "You haven't asked me how I'm doing in like 19 <laughs> years." That's funny. No, uh, people love Dennis. Everyone loves Dennis, and that's one thing that you've got going for you. <laughs> <laughs> and you know what? I'll take it. You've Thank got you. a likable cat. Yeah. <laughs> I know. I've also got two more cats, but whatever. We, we won't talk. Uh, we'll spend about 25 more minutes on the cats, and then gotcha. we'll talk about then comedy. We'll move on. Yeah. Okay. Okay. <laughs> I would say you're a very dark comedian. Like you're very, very dark humor. Uh, you know, self-deprecating. Obviously, right. uh, is that natural for you? Oh, always. It always has been. And um, I think it was it was pounded into my head from a very young age uh, that I sucked. 
And then, uh, and, and it was by, you know, relatives, people were supposed to care about me. They were like, you're bad and you can't do anything. And I was like, okay. And then when I grew up and actually started to care about myself and have confidence and whatever, I still have that inside me of like, it's, it's fun to laugh at me because I'm bad at things. And so I started sharing that on stage and the, the reaction you get from people is, um, it's more of like a connection that you're forging with them because everyone has those thoughts about themselves. Not everyone is willing to push, you know, smash through that boundary and share it with an entire room of people. And so it really is that like, that's how I connect with an audience is that I'll start off with that and just kind of, um, appeal to how they may be also feeling. Yeah, every once in a while, I'll try to, well, not every once in a while, a lot of times I'll start out with something very dark and then kind of use that to test the waters. Right. And like, I'll, I'll start with a, a joke about hanging myself. Sometimes people love it. Other times people are like, oh, this guy's not for me. And Sometimes I, I, people are like, you could go a little darker. Yeah, yeah, a little bit. Like, <laughs> like, here, I brought a noose from home. Why don't you try it out? You know? <laughs> right. We want the live showing. I think everybody's paid good money for that. Uh, yeah, I mean, ever- they paid $5. They should be able to watch that. <laughs> Could you imagine that? Like, like I think that's my self-esteem, though. Like, I think if I were being executed... Oh, you know, I did have this thought. Like, if I were being executed, I had a vision, like, a couple nights ago where nobody would show up to my execution. That's how low my self-esteem is. Mike, that's not true. I'd, I'd show up, and I'd pay good money, and uh, I'd watch you tell a couple jokes, and then as soon as one bombed, I think you'd, you'd jump off the ledge. <laughs> I know. That's how so, your execution would go. I think what I how I'd want to die is remember the game Hangman? Of course. Yeah, like that's how I do it. Like I would put myself on the rope or whatever and figure out a way that if I bomb like six jokes, you know, every joke I bomb, I'm one step closer to death. I'm like, You're okay. sure only six because you'd get there pretty fast. I know, but, like but it's they, fine. Yeah. All one-liners. I'm fine. I don't, I don't want to live too much longer. But but I think that'd be an interesting way to do it. Because then it's not on me, really. It's a true test of the audience. Like, do we like him enough to let him live or die? Oh, God. That's that's deep. I don't like that. Because uh, some people would not laugh out of, like, I don't ever want to see this guy again. You know? Yeah. <laughs> They'd be like, that. that's kind of funny. Not funny enough for me to let him not die. This is the fourth full house joke you have. <laughs> We're done. Oh, by the way, that, that reminds me. When we were talking earlier, you, you mentioned that you were playing Sims. Of course. And Always. Wh- one, why do you like Sims? Because it's not, believe it or not, you're not the only person. Um, I like Sims. I think it, it, a lot of it has to do with um, the kind of anxiety aspect of my life where I don't feel comfortable enough throwing myself out there in, a wor- in the world doing the things that I want to be doing. And so The Sims kind of lets me live vicariously through these little characters of like, oh, they can actually go to college and get a degree like I can't. They can get a good paying job like I can't. Um, they can practice an instrument and actually get good at it like I cannot. And um, I just I, I really enjoy that I can have a, a little bit of an accomplishment, uh, regardless of the fact that it's on a television. That's fine. Like, I, th- I think it's perfect. Yeah, I love it. I feel accomplished in my life, not because of anything that I've done, um, but because of these little these little virtual guys. Plus, you don't need to expend any of the energy. Oh, of course not. I'm sitting here just drooling on myself for five hours. And when I stop, I go, that was a good Sims run. I accomplished a lot. And then I go to bed. And that's that's that. It's my life. <laughs> I wouldn't change a thing. No, no, I think it's going really well so far. So my friend Danielle, she's going to get me onto TikTok eventually because I am inundated with these fucking TikTok videos. So, but she sent me one right after we hung up the first Zoom call and 
it was in reference to Sarah Cartwright, uh, who recorded with me a while ago. She was very upset, still is, I'm sure, very obsessed with Sims. But the video I got sent, and I'll send it to you, but it was like a Hunger Games adaptation of The Sims, but the person created all the Full House characters. So it basically had Michelle kill Uncle Jesse with a knife, and I think Kimmy killed Joey. And I'm like, I'm like, holy shit, this is like the greatest minute of my life. The thing is, Mike, that that's, uh, that's such a niche that almost no one would relate to. And for you, <laughs> it's the best thing you've seen in your life. Yeah. Uh, that's, I love having conversations with you because we've got like a 10-year age gap going. And sometimes you say something, and I, I have somewhat of an idea of what it is. Um, but for the most part, we're speaking different languages. And sometimes there, I'll just laugh. It, it's, so, it's so much more pathetic than you know. And <laughs> when I was um, probably 23, I was living in Lock Haven, Pennsylvania. And this is before we had DBRs or I don't know if TiVo was around probably, but we didn't have one. But ABC Family used to play Full House from like three o'clock to four o'clock. And my buddies, we would all talk and be like, hey, you know, are you watching Full House? Like, I mean, Full House had been off the air like 20 years at that point. So I would I would ask them, like, hey, turn on, like, Michelle's going to die. Michelle's going to die. And they're like, huh? Michelle, the, the way they, she didn't die. But the way the episode, like the finale went, Michelle fell off a horse and had amnesia. She got like a concussion and couldn't remember everything. But the best part is we hated Michelle. Fucking hate Michelle to this day. Don't like her. We think she's a selfish person. She ruined the trip to Disney World. It was terrible. She's just a selfish asshole. But the finale, she fell off a horse and like, oh, no, Michelle, Michelle. They all like it was like a glimpse of freedom from her terror. But the best part was because it was on ABC Family from three o'clock to four o'clock. They had a to be continued. So she fell off the horse. They went straight into the other episode and played last week. Here's what happened. So we get to see Michelle fall off the horse twice. Great. I mean, that's what you've been waiting your entire life to see, really. I mean, the show was on the air for quite some time. Yeah, nine years and or eight years. And I spent the last six minutes explaining to you maybe the happiest moment of my life. And it was about a nine year old who fell off a horse twice. I'm, uh, you know, I'm yeah. happy for you. I'm in I'd therapy, like by the way. I feel sad for you, but I am. I'm happy for yeah. you. I like to see yeah. you happy, uh, regardless yeah. of the fact that it's nonsense. You know, it's fine. I'm in therapy and have been for a while, and I have not told my therapist that. Maybe I should lead next week's session with that. I feel like I am a therapist in a lot of ways because um, I don't really like to talk to people. So I'll just sit and I'll listen. And unfortunately, that means that they will unload their entire life's history of traumas on me in the span of a half an hour and it's exhausting and i wish i were a different person but i think if i ever went back to college i could be a therapist i could do it i could do it that leads me to something else you are the only person i know like only comedian who knows my sister yes like she she taught you in community college oh that's right i I forgot i had a second sister i know both your (laughs) sisters and your mom yes that's true. Okay. Oh, that's right. My mom taught you in kindergarten, right? Correct. Yeah. How fucking weird is this world? It's it's weird. And the thing is, so the very first open mic that I saw you get on stage, you introduced yourself. And I'm like, that's not a very common last name. What are the odds? And then you started with your set and you started talking about one of your sisters. And I immediately knew who you were talking about. And I was like, oh, shit, I actually know this guy. The thing is, Mike, I don't think I had a conversation with you about till about four months later. Because I'm yeah. that nervous that I don't approach people. So I would go up and I would do my routine and I go, maybe today would be the day that I'm funny enough that Mike Peters would strike up a conversation with me and I could tell him that I know who he is. And it didn't happen for about four months. 
until finally you were like, hey, I guess you're okay. What's up? Yeah, that's not at all how I operate. <laughs> like, no, no. I, am, I was so nervous. I'm not going to, I won't walk up to someone that I don't know and be like, hi, I, your sister taught me in college. If I weren't hosting all the open mics, I probably wouldn't talk to anybody. Like I, I really, that's not how I, I'm not comfortable to doing that. The first open mic I went to, I went, uh, first open mic I went to, I went with a friend, but I started going alone and I don't think I talked to anybody for at least a couple weeks. And when everybody was congregating on the left side of the bar, I was sitting on the right side alone with my phone. That's how I go to bars alone. Like I, like I got a phone, I'm good. I'll text people and that's my company. There's something about my face that makes people want to talk to me. So even though I will not seek out a conversation, people will come up to me. And that's honestly the way that I prefer it. But even though I say, you know, I don't like talking to people, I obviously do. I have friends. I talk a lot. But I love the networking aspect of working in comedy. But the issue with that is that they have to speak to me first. I'm so I'm so terrified. I'll walk up to someone and be like, good set. But I remember walking up to Ellen Doyle and I had already been on a show with her once and I had already met her and we had gone out as a group and gotten drinks and I had talked to her. But it had been a few months and I saw her at a show and I came up to her and I think I was like a 15 year old girl in that moment. I was like, I thought you were so funny and I just want to say you're one of my favorite comedians of all time. Like I got so nervous and she was just kind of like looking at her phone and she was like, yeah, thanks, man. Good to see you again. (laughs) Like it was so, she's so laid back and I was like 10 levels above her in like energy and she was just like, yeah, thanks. And I was like, I hate myself. So Ellen is never fully paying attention to you. No, 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 no. Like her mind is in like 16 places and she's always one part annoyed and one part frustrated that she's not out in LA or that she's in LA or wherever. She is one of the nicest people, but like disinterested. Yeah. Like it's gotta be on her terms. So I would never like, I mean, I've hung out with her socially too and she's great. Like she's one of the few people who is, she might be the only person who stayed over in the cat's bed. Okay. So, nice. Good yeah, for her. Yeah. I shut the door on her with the cats outside because I didn't want the cats to sleep with her and not me. Oh, that's a little sad. Yeah. Yeah. I'm, I actually want to cry right now. I don't know. That, that was weird. Uh, well, if your cats have another option other than you, you, you really, <laughs> I think you might have something to worry about. I know. It's really bad. Uh, that, but that's how I'm. Do, do you remember my mom as a teacher? I do a little bit, but I mean, you know, we were like four or five years old. I don't remember much, but I do remember when I got to second grade. First of all, I had ADD when I was younger. And the way that that manifested was that I was an asshole. Um, and I thought I was really, really funny all the time because I was just bored. And so I would make noises. I would kick other kids' chairs. I would lean back in my chair and see how far I could go without falling, whatever. So I remember my second grade teacher who hated me, by the way. He said, if you can't learn how to sit right, I am going to send you back to kindergarten. And I was like, he can't do that. So I didn't (laughs) listen to him. And then he said, who's your kindergarten teacher? And he walked me back to your mom's room and he put a chair in the middle of the room and it's full of kindergartners. And he goes, sit, you're going to sit here and you're going to learn how to sit. And so I got to hang out with your mom a little bit and learn how to sit in a chair. Do you remember any of that? Like any, any, I don't, I think she just kind of acted like I wasn't there because she had a bunch of kindergartners to take care of. And so I was just in the way. I had my mom for kindergarten too. When I was going to went to Liverpool, and this was in 1989, so I don't know, like they worked as a team, so they they didn't have full time kindergarten or full day kindergarten, and uh, they split kids. Like halfway through the morning, my teacher would give me to my mom, like the whole class. And the only couple things I remember from my mom 
uh, was that we had this play called Stone Soup, and it was like off this book, and we made Stone Soup. But part of the book, I think, was that we had like knights and with swords and armor. Well, she took it all from me at the house. So she brought it to the classroom and she didn't let me dress up in it or play with it. I hated my mom. I'm like, you brought you brought my toys to school and made me watch other kids play with it. She so was that's teaching not you fun. how to share, but well, she <laughs> thought she was teaching you how to share, but she was teaching you how to hate. Yes. At a very young that. age. I, I live alone. I won't even let my cat sleep in somebody else's bed. Like <laughs> I'm not doing that. And then the other the other thing she did was that we had like these yellow chairs and I wrote my name and green marker on the back of the chair. Uh, I'm like, yeah, that's my chair. And she got really mad at me and like put me in a timeout or whatever. So like those are the two things. So whenever she talks about her kindergarten experience, I'm like, yeah, listen, my kindergarten teacher was a fucking asshole. (laughs) And she's like, oh, here we go again. Here we go. It's like stone soup. Never forget stone soup. It's funny because I don't remember anything from that age, like at all. I don't remember uh, and I, I don't know if it's because, you know, I didn't have a great childhood and I don't want to remember, but I'm in therapy too. Ha. Anyway, uh, <laughs> so uh, I don't remember shit. I don't know how you remember like stories like that from when you were younger. I don't, I don't know. Like I remember my dad around the same age. Uh, <laughs> we were outside in like this patio eating dinner and I don't know what I said. It was some wise ass remark. And my dad slapped me in the face. Not hard. But I think, you know, whatever. He was, he's not a monster. He was he still me in the face. Yeah. Yeah. Maybe, maybe, no, it wasn't the face. He's just spanked me or whatever. Okay. So, but I remember I looked over to my sister who, you know, you, you had, she's six years older than me. And I, I, I said to her, I'm like, that didn't hurt. And my, <laughs> and my dad's like, what? I go, ow. <laughs> <laughs> I was dumb enough to not be quiet, but smart enough to lie about it. Right. I mean, you you and your sister are like the only ones out of your siblings that like get along, right? Like truly get along. Yeah. I mean, like my brother and I don't talk. My sister, Trisha, has mental retardation. So she's in a group home. We we see each other maybe three or four times a year. You know, Christmas, Easter, uh, you know, any funeral, something like that. And then my sister Katrina, uh, she and I talk not as frequently as we used to. Her kids don't need a babysitter anymore. So <laughs> she doesn't I, need I you fe- around. Yeah. I fell down the speed dial. Maybe and she could watch your cats or something. She actually might. Yeah, she used to have cats and not anymore. She got a she got a husband instead. So Right. Uh, but no, but yeah, she she and I were really close probably for about 10 or 15 years, like only when she moved out of the house. When she moved out of the house, I was 12, she's 18, and I was like, holy shit. My siblings are one's, you know, mentally retarded and the other one might as well be (laughs) like he's six years younger than me. He's six years old. So I had no like ally in the house. So I'm like, I have to deal with my parents alone. And so Katrina and I, it was like the advent of instant messenger. Do you know what that is? Yeah, I'm aware. Okay, okay. All right. right. So I don't know. You said we had a 10 year gap. So, (laughs) um, but yeah, so we talked a lot. And and when I visited her in New York City when she moved down for uh, grad school, and then uh, when she moved back to Endwell, I stayed at her place. And then when I was coming back from Maryland, when I lived there or Pennsylvania, I would stay at her her house. So yeah, we we became pretty close. That's good. I uh, I don't have any siblings. I have nothing like that. I mean, you don't know any other way. But did you ever want a sibling? No, because I don't get along with, you know, most people. So, no, that's not true. When I was, my mom always tells me the story because she thought it was hilarious. She asked me when I was like, I don't know, uh, probably seven, because she had just met my stepdad. And she was like, do you, uh, do you want a sibling? Because they were talking about having kids. 
And uh, I was like, yeah, I think I'd like to have a, a brother. And she's like, yeah, you'd like a younger brother? And I was like, younger brother? No, I want an older brother. <laughs> like, I didn't understand linear time. I was like, no, I want an older brother. She's like, I can't do that for you, kid. I'm sorry. Hey, she got you a new dad. Yeah, he sucked. And uh, <laughs> so <laughs> she brought in a new dad. And uh, he was, you know, we didn't get along either. We didn't see eye to eye. He was uh, like kind of conservative Christian and he was from Texas and he was very much into the idea that you like respect your elders and he didn't meet me until I was seven and I was already a sarcastic piece of shit. I really thought I was funny and he did not, he was not entertained by me at all. And so we never saw eye to eye. We just had completely different personalities and uh, you know, uh, being raised by someone who doesn't particularly like you isn't the most fun thing. I know you met my mom. (laughs) (laughs) So they're divorced now. They are. They were married for 10 years. Okay. He was only he was only present for about five of those years. And that was like sporadically. So he'd be there for a year or two. And then they'd get in some fight and he would leave and he would drink or do drugs or whatever he wanted to do, find somebody else. And then he'd call my mom from rehab and be like, hey, can I see you? I want to come home. And then my mom would ask me, hey, can he come home? And I'd be like, yeah, I mean, you're lonely and I'm at home alone a lot. And yeah, sure. I don't care. So it was just a cycle. It happened several times. Okay, so I'm cheating because I know your mom. I know you're close, but that's amazing that she would say, hey, like it was like the roles were reversed. Yeah, like, she was. I, I asked my daughter for permission. My my mother has always uh, respected my opinion and uh, we're very similar intellectually and humor wise. And so I think through a lot of my life, she saw me as more of a, a friend and I saw her as a friend. But obviously, you know, I mean, she's one of the best moms ever. Anyone who's met my mom is like, yo, I love your mom. And I'm like, I know, right? She's the best. But the fact that she would even think to ask me, is it okay if this guy comes live to live with us again was, you know. And I said yes every time because I'm just as dumb as she is. <laughs> well, <laughs> I, I wish, this is going to be weird. I wish I didn't know your mom as well, only right. because it included a nine-hour car ride with her that resulted in me not getting my car back. Uh-huh. So, like, I, I felt so horrible because we drove up for four and a half hours. At, like, you and I did a show and on, what, Friday, and then on Sunday... Uh, we did another show and it's four hours, four and a half hours away. And the entire way, I'm so nervous because this guy who was going to fix my car wasn't returning calls. He wasn't picking up. And we got there and he goes, oh, I couldn't get to it. And I was like, dude, we drove four and a half hours. And your mom, I'm sure deep within was like, this kid is a piece of shit. Like talking about me. But she would never, she either is the nicest person in the world or has the best poker face in the world because it didn't seem like she gave a shit. She's like, no, we love road trips. And I'm like, you're very bored. I don't know. The only thing, okay. So the only thing that my mom cares about in my friends is how they treat me. And you have always been nice to me. So I think you could pretty much do anything to make her think like, God, this guy, oh my, you know, but she's still in the back of her mind. It's like, yeah, but he's really nice to Holly. So we're good. We're good. Like that's, that's her base for like, if she likes somebody that I'm associating. Well, she has seen you and this is, you know, I know things basically through a a comedy lens. She's been at almost every show you've done for me. She's come to a lot of them. Absolutely. Uh, Especially local ones. Yeah. Are you nervous at all that she's in the audience? Cause, cause you don't, it, I don't think you toned down your material for her. No, I definitely don't tone it down. I think the first few shows that she went to where she saw really what I was talking about, 
I'm not sure you would call it disappointment, but she had this, <laughs> she had this idea of like, well, if that's what makes you happy kind of thing. And I was like, it does make me happy. Thank you. And then after that, she was like, yeah, you know, I, I would like to come see you in another show. And she told me at one point, she goes, you know, it's not about the jokes. I like seeing other people laugh at your jokes. I like seeing other people, you know, giving you whatever validation you didn't get while growing up. Um, <laughs> but, you know, uh, it does make me a little nervous when she's tagging along sometimes, but it's not, it never deters me from saying something. The only thing that it changes is how I act after a show, how I act when I'm not doing my set. Because if she's not there, like, I'll be hanging out at the bar, I'll be talking to people, I'll be chilling. When she is there, I feel this obligation of, like, oh, my mom's here, I should sit with her. Yeah. So it really just affects the networking portion of it. And sometimes I want to go to a show and be completely alone and not know anyone there, obviously, other than you, and just kind of get to know people and hang out. And it's harder to do that. But your mom doesn't seem like the person who would give a shit. No, but I you know, give like, a shit. Yeah, yeah. Because she was a good mom. And so I don't want to be like, hey, mom, I'm going to be at the bar not hanging out with you talking to my friends. I know you came all this way to see me. Uh, go fuck yourself. No, I would never. <laughs> I love my mom so much, you know. But you could probably tell your mom, go fuck yourself. She's like, okay, I'll go yeah. home. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and then I'd call her the next day and be like, mommy, I'm so sorry. She'd be like, I know, I know. <laughs> when, uh, I'm, cu- I'm always curious about this. When was the first time you swore in front of your mom? Do you remember that? Well, we talked about this, I think, in the car ride. But when I... Uh, oh, that's right. I did ask her. I think I think when I, I got her. to college. Yeah, you were so interested okay. about this. Because I think we were just dropping the C-bomb back and forth. Yeah, and you're yeah. sitting in the back seat. And uh, you said, you should charge people to ride back here. This is very interesting to see the relationship you have. Uh, But yeah, no, it it had to have been college. Once my grandmother wasn't around anymore, my stepdad wasn't around anymore, and it was really just her and I, we didn't have to put on any kind of facade of who we were. And she's, I mean, she doesn't swear all the time, but her being around me, I think, makes her a little bit more like that. But we can just have a conversation and and we're not going to judge each other for for what we say. I don't want to blow up any of your jokes, but you mentioned that you're, you're a bad influence on her. And, oh, for uh, sure. Can, you know what I'm talking about, right? Oh, the the the, the C bomb. I know we're coming yeah, back yeah, to yeah, it. Okay. Yeah. yeah. So we talk about how um you know me hanging around with my mom, she starts to pick up words from me, and in front of my aunt, she said, "Can you imagine what a cunt I would be if I were beautiful?" Which is a horrible thing to say <laughs> about yourself. But I think she was thinking like, you know, uh, I this keeps me humble. The way that I look is keeping me humble because every other aspect I'm killing it, but the way that I look. So she said that. And my aunt goes, Jesus Christ. <laughs> and my, mo- my mom, not realizing that she just said cunt in front of my aunt. She goes, I know, right? Cause she just thought she was talking about, you know, what she just said. And my aunt goes, no, I just, you've never said that word in front of me before. And I was sitting there and my mom kind of realized what was happening, that she was like becoming me. And she yeah. just slowly turned and looked at me. And I just had the biggest fucking smile on my face. I was like, you learned that from me. And I'm having the best time of my life. I don't think you and I have ever had a conversation where you didn't say cunt at least twice. Oh, of course not. I love the word cunt. I'm a cuntaholic, dude. (laughs) I want to make a lesbian joke. I just do. (laughs) Go for it. Go for it. I'm not. I will. I will talk. I will. I'm selling. I don't know what that didn't make sense at all. But I mean, it transitions well. But when I was in college, my lesbian ex-girlfriend, she could not say the word cunt. Like it, or hear it, like she would, she would physically shudder, like like. Ugh. And well, uh, cunt so really like, is the N word for white women. Yeah, but for her, like her, I, I think her, I think it was uh, her brother would call her that a lot, 
And like, it just, it, she couldn't do it. So she had to give this speech and I'm working on the speech with her and she wanted to, I think she was talking about a uh, time she got in an accident and whatever, but she wanted to use the word brunt, but with any UNT word, like punt. She had a hard time uh, with it. You couldn't do it. So what I did was I set up like uh, the stuffed animals that were in, you know, my suite. Uh, we took, took, took them all. I, I think I even had a picture of my ex-girlfriend and I put that up so she could have more faces. So she rehearsed the word like brunt. She rehearsed that whole thing in front and of a fake brunt, audience. Brunt. Yeah. So like when she did get up there and I'm like, I'm like, Sarah, you can change the word. And she's like, no, it was like, it was like this, this hill she had to climb and it worked. And she, she got like a B plus or an A minus on the, on the speech. And I'm like, yeah, you have my Mets bear to thank for. <laughs> did she ever thank the bear? Probably not. No, what she just. She, yeah, she exactly. <laughs> she, I've never. I don't think I've ever said a bad word about her. Like I've never called her a name. Uh, I don't think lesbian ex girlfriend is is her title now. But yeah, yeah. I always always had a lot of respect for her. And you know, hey, she's got she's got a wife and a kid, and I help. So you, you, know, you were there. That's it. Yep. Yeah, I ruined men for her. That's. I mean, sometimes that's the best gift you can give a woman. <laughs> Another woman. Yeah, she really moved on with her life, and she's doing great now. And that's all because of you. Yep, exactly. <laughs> I just wish I would have gotten a wedding invitation, or you know, an invite to the birth. Who no, knows? You, can't, you know, can't win them all. No, I guess not. But you haven't done the virtual stuff, so you've been you've been off stage since what March, maybe? Yeah, I think my last show with you was uh, March eighth. Okay, okay. How much do you miss that? Just being on stage. See, I thought I thought I was doing okay. And then I started listening to your podcast and then I started watching more stand up. And then I started, you know, I've, I've like messaged a couple of comedians like to see how they're doing. And I realized just how much I miss it. It's crazy. And I think I was like freaking out at work the other day. My coworker was like rolling his eyes at me, but I was like kicking in my chair, like yelling. I was like, I miss it so fucking much. I need that validation. And he was like, you need to calm down. Why don't you like to have a cup of coffee or something like chill, drink some water. And I was like, no, you don't understand. Like this is this is really important to me, and so it's 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 driving me crazy a little bit. But um, you know, I think we're almost out of it. Yeah, like I said, I, I've done two shows, and you know, by the end, by the time this airs, you'll probably be on stage again. Uh, right, that'd be know, awesome. I'm gonna, yeah, I'm going to air it in like 2022, so I think we'll be fine. Okay, uh, I'll, I'll have done a couple of shows uh, by then. <laughs> yeah, one or I hope two. So. Have you noticed yourself, like, are you trying jokes out on coworkers? Like, are you annoying them at that level yet? The way that my life works is that I'm constantly trying jokes out on everyone, and I don't even realize that I'm doing it because I find myself so hilarious, which is sad. But um, <laughs> I, every conversation that I have with anyone has to have some kind of joke in it or something, some kind of reaction. And I think that's part of why I didn't miss stage so much is that every conversation is me looking for that validation, looking for that laugh, and I'm, I'm getting it through the people that I know. So, fuck, man. I forgot your question. I did too. Oh, so trying out, trying yeah. out material on coworkers. Um, no, because I say really unfunny things to them, and they go, you should say that on stage. And I go, you have no idea. You have no, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? No concept of what would actually be funny in front of an audience. One time, uh, my coworker dropped hummus on one of my shoes. And he goes, I'm sorry about that. And I go, well, these are the shoes that I wear when I know I'm going to be around hummus. So it's okay. And he goes, good. it's funny. You should say that on stage. And I was like, in what context, man? That's the problem. That's like right. a really good comment because it's like, oh, yeah, all right. Well, that, that makes sense. Yeah. It's That's a little like, kind of offhanded. Like, it doesn't make yeah. any sense. It's nonsensical. It's a little bit funny. And he's like, man, that's really, that's good. And I'm like, no, it's not. No, it's not. I guess like, like, I don't know. I, I always revert to like Seinfeld. And do you know Seinfeld well? 
the Relatively, show? yeah, I've okay. I've seen but through like, all of it. Okay, so like like Kramer was returning the very pants, like he he got he, he fell in a puddle or, or got splashed in the very pants er, while he was wearing the very pants he was returning. Right, and it's like okay, like that, like I guess like the shoes would be a completely minor, it'd be a throwaway line. It's like yeah, I was wearing these shoes and they got hummus on it because those are the shoes I wear while I got hummus on it, and you know <laughs> like it was my right. hummus shoes. But like aside from that, I don't know how you format a joke yeah, around there's that. No, there's no way, and that's why most of my jokes are stories with you know smaller jokes interspersed or even not even a joke is um just my tone sometimes i can say something in a certain tone that wouldn't be funny otherwise and so all of my jokes are stories that happen to me actually in life and then people are like how you come up with that shit and i'm like i didn't i lived that it shit, that shit happened i do want to know because i try to think if i not really but for you know the last few months you were you're dating somebody and he would always go to the shows yeah, he and, was very supportive. But the jokes, like your sexual jokes, I don't know how many of them included him. I know a couple didn't. But like, was he cool with that? I don't. Th- I'm not sure that I had a single sexual joke that involved him, because um, most of my material was put together and rehearsed and pitched at open mics before I knew him. And okay. um, so he, I think he thought it was funny to a certain extent. I remember doing a show in Kingston and I had mentioned something. It was self self deprecating about how I was buying condoms. And I made this offhanded, you know, I know I don't look like I fuck, but I did have to buy condoms. And so when I came back to the table, he's like, that was good. I don't like how you said that thing about yourself though. And I was like, I'm ugly, man. Get over it. You're you're dating, (laughs) you're dating an ugly person. (laughs) (laughs) But no, I mean, he was great. He really was. He came to all my shows. He never told me that there was material that he didn't want to hear, which was good. It was supportive. It was the same shit yeah. my mom does. <laughs> Only he didn't say cunt as much. Right. I don't think I've ever, well, maybe once heard him say cunt. Not often. Maybe the last fight you ever had. <laughs> we didn't fight. That's the thing. We had a six-month relationship. We never got in a single like actual fight. I, uh, I'm trying to think that I went on a couple dates with somebody who I met her at Maddie B's. Did you ever go there? Maddie B's? No, it was closed by the time I started, and I hear great things about it, and yeah. it makes me sad. Yeah, it was really, really cool. We'll go there someday. It, we'll we'll see the shell of it. Okay. And uh, Let's bring Marty okay. along. Exactly. And he knows where it is. Uh, <laughs> but I remember I met this woman there, and she came to like two or three shows. I don't remember ever seeing her laugh. And uh, so like I'm sure she did, but not, the one thing she told me about the shows... And I just really started producing them. We charged $5 at the door and we had five comedians. So like a buck a comedian, I thought was a steal. She said, I don't think you should charge that much because the guys you have aren't worth it. And I'm like, oh, awesome. And in that conversation, it was the only time I have ever told a woman seriously to eat shit. (laughs) And I was like, oh, eat shit. And man, that was therapeutic. I mean, it was, it felt so great. Yeah. Feels good to tell a cunt what a cunt she is. Yeah. And the only problem with that was that she was driving and we were in Syracuse. So I had to, I didn't fake sleep, but I really <laughs> willed myself to go to sleep. <laughs> yeah. Not, not unless I wanted to walk 80 miles. <laughs> right. Well, you know, some conversations are just that bad. Yeah. I don't know. Like, I, but it had to be nice to have that support. It's like, okay, well, I, I, I got the freedom to, to say pretty much whatever I want on stage and, and knowing, you know, you, you won't, I don't know, get a, a side eye at you. Yeah, no, he wouldn't get upset. He would come to every single show. It was awesome. And then I broke up remember- with him anyway. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know if you want to get into that at all. So we no, can just not much. On. Not much. Yeah. I'd rather not. The first time we spoke, I said, hey, anything you don't want to talk about? You said, no. Now I figured it out. That's so funny. The- yeah, my recent yeah. breakup. I'd rather not. 
<laughs> Weird. Uh, well, let's go to happier. He's definitely going to listen. He's definitely going to listen for sure. Let's go to a ha- let's go to a happier spot. Uh, do you remember the worst worst set you've ever had? Absolutely. Um, I was booked by Andy Michalik to do a breast cancer benefit at Waterman's Distillery, and I'd never been to Waterman's, but I had a bunch of coworkers that were asking me, you know, when's your next local show? Because I think at the time I was doing things kind of further out, and I said, you know, I'm going to have this show that's you know kind of close. You want to come? So I had maybe three or four coworkers there. I had two or three relatives there, and then I had also brought three friends with me. The rest of the room, though was well-off-looking white women, which apparently are not... They didn't like the story about me uh, almost getting fisted. They didn't like any of my stories. They were too good for me, you know? They they really looked down upon me. And just every joke was just landing flat. And I was like, these people don't like me. And then I started getting nervous. And then I was like, I need to look at my phone and see if there's anything else I can do. That you maybe turn this crowd around. No, they didn't fucking like me. And then uh, I sat down and I was embarrassed. And uh, Andy was not there, which I didn't realize until after I showed up at the venue. And then the woman who owned the place came to me and said, we don't think Andy's going to be here. We're not sure. And I was like, excuse me, because I didn't know anyone else there. So I sit down at my table and then the woman who was running the show comes over to me and she goes, it's 75, right? And I was like, what? Because I just did a really shitty like 10 to 15 minute set. And I was like, excuse me. She was like, you she like had the checkbook. And I was like, Andy. Andy told me 50. Like, that was a real, like, honest moment. I was like, Andy told me he was going to give me 50. She goes, oh, okay. So she wrote a check for $50. But that was, like, a real, like, morality moment where I very well could have been. I'm sure the other comedians got paid 75. But I was like, "Mm, no, I'm not that good yet. I'll, so, I'll take I'll take 50. Had you had a better set, do you think you would have said, yeah, 75 sounds good? No, no. Okay. Uh, honestly, like I, I could never, I would never be dishonest like that. Uh, even if it's $25 from a venue I'm never going to go to again, from a person putting on a show that I've never even met, um, I would not do that. <laughs> what if it were a prostate cancer benefit? Absolutely. Who cares? Okay. Yeah, fuck them. If it, if it was a man that came up to me and it was like 75, I'd be like, yeah, 75, suck my dick. Like, you know. <laughs> <laughs> like a normal response. Yeah, absolutely. That's how I talk to men. <laughs> well, it, honestly, it's the only way we're ever going to listen. Right. It's There's got to have a, be a little bit of spice to it. Uh, or normally, it's just anything sexual around a man is the only thing you can get them, the only way you can get them to listen. Has being a comedian helped you open up in other aspects of your life? I mean, what, what's the thing you've taken most out of being a comedian? Um, I don't know if it's helped me open up more, but it's definitely given me an outlet so that my friends are not as horrified as they normally are. Because normally I'm dumping all this shit onto them, these these awful, awful stories about me in terrible situations. And they go, I don't want to hear about this. And now I can go up on stage and tell, you know, 20 to 50 strangers about it and feel like I really got it out there, you know. Um, so really, it's, it's therapeutic more than anything. As for opening up, I think socially, it's definitely helped me open up, especially because... You know, people will come up to you after a show and be like, oh, that was really funny. You know, how long have you been doing that? And then start talking to you. So I really had to learn how to uh, communicate like an adult, which was not something I was uh, used to or good at. Yeah, I, I know for me, like I moved back up to Binghamton and I didn't really know anybody because I, I lived in Maryland and Pennsylvania. And without doing stand up, I wouldn't have I mean, I don't know if they'll ever admit that they're my friends. But I wouldn't I wouldn't know as many people 
uh, as I do now. Like now I feel like I can go to somewhere in Rochester and I'll know a few people in Utica. I know a few people who will tolerate me there. And it definitely has opened me up to be more sociable because I don't know if I have social anxiety, like probably everybody does a little bit, but I've never been, I'm outgoing after the initial awkwardness. Yeah, and me like, too. Like, I, I think like if I, and you've probably noticed this because like I, I produce and I run a lot of stuff, but like that's where I feel uncomfortable. Like I feel comfortable being the guy who solves a problem or who is in charge of something. Maybe from afar, people don't think I shine that way, but mentally that's where I feel like I'm good to go. I think that's a gift, honestly, because I can't imagine being in charge of anything. The one open mic that you asked me to host, I was uh, an emotional wreck. And really? I did it and it was great, but uh, it was over, I think, in about 40 minutes. Yeah, which is fine. I mean, our open mics usually go like hour and a half, a couple Depends hours. Depends on how many people. You know, it runs pretty long, but there were like eight or nine people there and we just ran through sets. I was like, all right, that was great. Thank you. Anyway, up next. Like I was, was not, but I, you know. It was something that I needed to do, I think, to get out of my comfort zone, especially since there was that show coming up shortly after where you had asked me to host, which actually didn't even end up working out because it snowed, apparently. And four comedians that we were supposed to have on did not come. And uh, the day of the show, you said, "Okay, well, the show is going to be you, me, Mike, Carroll and Paul Koslowski. And I thought you were booking me for a show in the future. And I said, I thought we were talking about tonight. And you said, oh, I am talking about tonight. Yeah. And I was like, oh, shit. Okay. That's our lineup. I love it for yeah, women. I know. And the last two women's show uh, I've been on. So like, it's not, <laughs> like I was at least at, one person be like, no. Yeah. So uh, that show is December. And I had uh, four people from Rochester. Like, uh, and I was like, oh, really happy. And then you were going to host it. And I'm like, okay, cool. Like, we'll showcase them. You haven't hosted. So, you know, I that, that open mic, I was opening for Ryan Niemiller at the uh, Waterman's and I'm like, okay, cool. And I was going to get there. Like I was keeping Tazzy. I'm like, Hey, I'm going to be there. I'm going to be there hoping to do another set. And it was done. And by the way, people loved it. Oh, when you host great. It. I know I was like, fuck her. <laughs> like, like, that's how, this is my mic. I put yeah. this together. You don't get yeah. the fucking credit. The one time I have somebody else host it. Oh, we loved it. I'm like, God damn it. <laughs> I think no. there were a couple people that I had like jokes about, like bringing them on stage. Cause a couple of people I knew. And uh, I had a joke about Mike Carroll not being funny, which he also thought was funny. And then I had a joke about Bill Lake. I brought him up and I said, uh, you know, owner of the new boho that just opened up. Everyone wishes that he were their dad. Maybe that's just me because I have problems. Bill Lake. <laughs> like, yeah, that's great. <laughs> but uh, it's so funny because I, I love Bill. He's so funny. But he's uh, he's like 20,000 levels above me. And yeah. I feel like he's so unapproachable. And oh, the only time yeah. I've ever spoken to him, he came up to me and he gave me advice on like how to make a joke better. And I, some people may take that as like, fuck you, the joke's great. But hearing it from Bill, I was like, you're right. You're right. Absolutely. Yes, sir. Like I was. And the, fa- the fact that he even like had a conversation with me, I was like, like flying high, you know, I think it took maybe six months or something before Bill acknowledged my existence. It's so funny because I was listening to your, your podcast with Mike Straczynski right before this. Yeah. And he, yeah. <laughs> you guys were both talking about how Bill is just kind of like, he has to really know you to like open up and like have a conversation with you. And Mike was like, I've known him for a long time. There's tons of shit. I don't know about him. Yeah. And there, um, and you know, I don't know if Bill listens to these episodes anymore anyway, but, Probably not. uh, but like there are Especially moments where I'm like, like, it's like a, 
maybe it's just my neuroses, but but I will go th- like this week. I know Bill likes me. Next week, I have no idea if he likes me. Right. I have no like he is incredibly tough to read. But yeah, but I think a, a good tell is that you know he's a great audience member mm-hmm. because he is listening. And if he does come over and say, "Hey, uh, I was thinking about this," he actually cares about the jokes and that you do well. He doesn't mind giving a tag. I think uh, he gets offended and. I think it's normal. Uh, I think I would be irritated too. Uh, if somebody just brushes him off, it's like, okay, like he feels discounted. I mean, that's a, a person, a person's regular feeling, but, but yeah, he's, he's incredibly difficult to read. I think the first conversation I had with him was about music. I don't think it was about comedy. So the way into Bill's heart is by talking about 90s alternative rock. So like the bands, Jim Blossom and Fastball, like those bands are his, like go for it. All right. Well, I'm gonna have to. I have some music to listen to if I'm gonna make a new friend. And <laughs> well, <laughs> no, I don't I know if you like... want him as a friend, but whatever. <laughs> I don't know. At least an acquaintance. I feel like at this point we're just two people in a room. Yeah, where that's the, the level of comfort we have with each other. That's eh, fine. Uh, but no, the sh- the shows. Uh, yeah, the the women shows. The four people in Rochester had a snowstorm and they didn't come here. So yeah, I I was like Mike Carroll. I I lived like three minutes from him. So like I'll pick you up. And Paul Kozlowski is always there for me at a pinch. So we did that show. And then the last show I did before staying at home was March 14th. It was a women's show. The same style. I had five people on the show. And uh, one by one, they just bailed because, you know, the th- at the time, it was the threat of the coronavirus. It was just getting, it was, you know, March 8th, March 9th came around and it was just hitting New York City. I had somebody coming up from Lancaster, Pennsylvania. And it just didn't work. So uh, one by one, they fell out. And then I was going to host the show. Angelia Petrillo was going to feature. Ellen Doyle was going to headline. And maybe maybe about an hour before the show started, uh, Angelia said, hey, I'm not going to be able to be there. So I was like, okay. So I did, I did 26 minutes out front. Ellen did about an hour five. And people loved it. We had like, I think, 12 people, maybe 14 people. And they were all thankful we did the show. But I always start those shows, the women's shows, they're like, hey, I'm going to introduce these people and then I'm out of here because I know you don't, don't want to see guys. <laughs> yeah, it didn't come and to see me. No, and they had to look at me for 26 minutes and I felt bad for them. But hey, I got one more set and I guess that was okay. But it right. worked. That's fine. That's good. I uh, I did a show with Angelia at um, Madame Jenny's, which is like a burlesque club in Scranton. Oh, yeah, in Scranton. Yeah, yeah. Uh, awesome, awesome show. And uh, she is she's incredibly funny. Like I am, I am uh, envious of her and she just, even if she seems uncomfortable on stage for a second, it's still funny. She makes her discomfort funny. The only problem she's got is she's all the way in her head and like, she's, she's completely a nut job, but as long as she's on stage, Oh, she won't listen to this. I I have no idea, but she knows like, uh, actually, you know, I'll let you everybody in, but her episode, I recorded with her. It comes out next week. So we talk about this. So it's open. But, but yeah, if she you know struggles with confidence every once in a while, but uh, she's just sometimes an organizational nightmare. Mm-hmm. But once she's on stage and she's in a good mindset, almost nobody funnier. She's great. Uh, but, you know, I think we all deal with that stuff. You of know, course. I mean, we all have our shortcomings. And I think um, the best comedians that I work with are people that I see that don't they don't share their shortcomings at all and i don't see anything wrong with them but they're they're human beings and i know that they have them 
but they're so yeah. good at covering them up and just getting out there and uh, basically just doing a job, you know, making people right. laugh and that they can do that without bringing any of their personal bullshit into it, which I'm not capable of. My entire set is my personal bullshit. They get up there and they make people laugh and they, they maintain this air of professionalism and, and confidence and it just blows my mind. Is there any TV show or movie or comedian that kind of shape your comedic style and your, your brain? Like growing up, um, I remember Last Comic Standing, the show came out around the time that I was in middle school. And it was probably in eighth grade. And at this time, we didn't have, uh, you know, you couldn't rewind TV and rewatch yeah. it. It was just regular cable. And uh, I we used to do this thing in school called Patch Adams, where it was my English teacher did it. And you had to get up in front of the class and do something, anything, tell a story, whatever. And uh, at the time, I had a big interest in comedy because of this TV show. So I would watch it and I would watch a story and I would have to watch it once and I would have to have it like down because I was like, I'm going to share this with my, you know, because stealing jokes was not uh, not really in my mind when I was 11. I was like, fuck, fuck them. I don't care. No one else is going to hear this. So uh, and then when I did that, you know, the, the class responded so positively that I finally got it in my head that like, oh, this is something I'm actually good at and that I could do. So it was a TV show that really almost kicked open the door for comedy for me and even performing. And then uh, that same year, I had a teacher that made us do like a career board for like what we wanted to be when we grew up. And I was like, I want to be a stand up comedian. She was no like, shit. how about we be a little more practical? And I was like, excuse me. And she goes, well, let's start out. And I used to have a bit where I would tell I would talk about this. And she's go, you know, the first question here is, you know, what is a day of work like for this person? And I stopped and I was like, the, and my joke goes, well, I don't know. Don't they like sit around all day just eating cereal? And then they just go up. on <laughs> Like in my head, it was a person sitting in a dark room, just like utterly depressed and then went out on stage and just killed it. So she kept asking me all these questions, you know, and like median, like salary. And she's like, y you would have no idea where to start with the, any of this. And I was like, that's fair. And then I didn't turn back. I was like, all right, I guess I just won't do comedy. Like that was just that one thing that discouraged me. And then I didn't come back until I went to an open mic because my friend Thomas asked me to, to support him. Yeah, Thomas Eggleston. Uh, that guy, by the way, uh, he listens too. But fuck him because that guy should be on stage. Absolutely. He, is he should be performing. He's he's got such a a beautiful brain. Like that's how yeah. I see it. I think it's a lot of a lot of inner demons that he has that maybe suppress that. But some of the stuff that he writes, I'm like, this is it's perfect. Why can't you take it on stage? And he just he has such anxiety about performing. I think uh, we I actually did an open mic with him about two weeks ago in a, a basement at a guy's house. Uh, it was a guy that's in like a local punk band or something. And he invited Thomas to come. He met him through Instagram. And Thomas said, that's fine. I need to bring my friend, though. He like okay. he needed me there. He didn't know anybody else there. So him and I went and he did a little bit of poetry and a little bit of comedy. And then I did some comedy. And there were like like 15 kids there or something like that. And uh, I say kids, they were probably like two or three years younger than me, which right, right, when right. I when I look at them, I'm like, that's a child. But they're not. They're like my age. And, um, you know, watching him up there and performing, I forgot how cool it was, you know, and I really I want to see him on stage. I do. Yeah, he's a good writer. And, you know, I hope he hears this and, and gets more depressed. I don't know. But <laughs> every time I, I look at him post on Facebook, I'm like, I like it. And some people I like sympathetically, not his. I'm like, dude, like, I just want because he and I have talked for long periods of time. And, you know, I'm like, this guy should be he's a natural performer. And it's like, I think one of the first conversations I had with him, I said, well, you probably do like, uh, like theater you know, play. 
yeah, like plays or musicals. And he goes, no. And I'm like, really? Because it seems like I make he would the, be such a natural. Yeah. And I think I, I think I introduced him in an open mic one time. I'm like, this guy reminds me of Martin Short without the talent. <laughs> and like, and he goes, he goes, yeah, Martin Short's one of my heroes. And I'm like, yeah, it makes sense. Like, right. like he's just, he's natural at it. And I don't know that that's the kind of thing that, that frustrates me so much about, I don't want to think that I run the scene, but like running a mic, like, and I see all these people here. I'm like, I want them to be on stage because there's so much talent there that I, I'm like, I feel like a little bit jealous because I'm like, well, if I had, if I had like his writing ability, uh, somebody else's stage presence, like if I could create a monster out of all of these things, like I could be famous. A comedian it's like, I, it's, yeah. It's like, it, it bothers me. Like I, I, I feel like, you know, and and I love the guy. He's he's a great dude. So, you know, I just I want everybody to get on stage and realize, you know, but if it's not for him, it's not for him. I just I think it is for him. I think he's I just think fighting it is himself. Too. I think it is. I mean, he uh he brought me into my very first mic and I think it was offhandedly. He was like, "You've got some funny stories. You should you should go up there. You should try it out." And I had this flashback of like forever ago wanting to be a comedian and wanting to be a performer. And I was like, ooh, that's kind of a scary box to open up. I don't know about that. I don't know if I'm ready to, you know, face that. But I uh, I signed up and I got up there and I, I maybe told like three stories just like off the top of my head randomly. And I remember I got off stage and Tori Seward, who, you know, obviously, you know him, he's yeah. such a like he's such a gentle guy and he's such a good guy. But I saw this six and a half foot tall black dude approaching me rapidly. And I was like, <laughs> I was like, oh, fuck. But then I saw his hand was extended and he shook my hand and was like, you know, immediately like, yo, that was awesome. You need to be writing like every day, like an hour every day. I want to see you next week. And it was like it was insane. I had never uh, received a response from just getting up there and making a couple people laugh of him being like, yo, you need to come back. And yeah, yeah. I think that's part of the reason I kept doing it. You know, I'd come to see him and talk to him and he would, he was always like super supportive of like anything that I did, which was awesome. I met tons of people that are like super supportive of me, which is, I didn't meet you till about four months later. I saw you. I knew you were there. But, <laughs> well, okay. So in my defense, I remember that set. It was very good. And we were all thanks. impressed. In, in my defense though, I was, I had a broken collarbone. Right. So, that's true. So maybe I'm going to blame it on on painkillers. Gotcha. Yeah, well, whatever. I, I was disillusioned. <laughs> I, I Whatever. I was an asshole. But it was all traceable to uh, a softball injury, as all great things are. Well, we can blame all of the misfortunes that I've had on softball then. Yes, very well. Fuck that like sport. That. <laughs> yeah, I mean, that's that's the cool thing. Like, like I don't know. Like, I, I've got some of my best friends now just through doing comedy in the local scene. Right. And that's... You know, whether or not I go anywhere or this podcast does anything or any success, like the only things I not the only things I wanted, but something I'll treasure is that, you know, the people I've met along the way. Oh, isn't that cute? <laughs> I know. No, it's like I, uh, <laughs> it's a fucking Disney movie. I feel the exact same way. I, uh, I've i met so many amazing people and even going to a show where I don't know like anyone there. I know that we're going to be able to have common ground simply because of the fact that we're doing the same thing. And comedians all kind of have the same like brain wavelength. So I I can show up. And even though I don't know these people, I immediately feel like these are my people. And it's it's easier to interact with them. Well, whenever I go to like Albany or Utica, wherever, and I'm on a show, it's interesting because we all suffer together and we all, I mean, if it's a good show, we celebrate together. Like there's always, you know, three or four people hanging out after the show, well after everybody else has left and talking about it. It's like, it's like our, our post game conference. Like we're all there and it's, you know, it's the hang and, and there's so much 
bonding and networking, whatever word you want to say, that you just can't recreate anywhere else. It's just that's the thing I think I miss most about. And you you get a little bit of from like the virtual mics and and the writing workshops, but it's not the same. You know, it's like we're, we're sharing beers after a show, talking about what jokes worked, what jokes sucked, what the asshole in the front said. I mean, it's just. I don't know. Like it's you can't replace those things. The show sometimes, like even if I have a show that goes somewhat okay, and there's like ten people there, my favorite part of the show is hanging out afterwards and having a couple drinks and sitting and talking to people. And normally, people will leave one by one until it's just you and me, and then we'll sit there for like two more hours, which has happened quite a few times, Mike. And I'm like, yo, I actually do have to get to bed, and you go, all right, and then twenty more minutes will go by. <laughs> You know, I'm I'm trying to get better at that on the Zoom mics and because I do like four a week and I do like them. But what's happening is that I don't know when to say goodnight. I'll be on a Zoom call from with a mic with people in Pennsylvania and I have stopped talking, but I don't know how to say goodnight and leave. Especially like, when just, someone else is in another conversation or yeah, that it's been I, so long since you've spoken that people have forgotten. But it'd be yeah. rude to like just leave. So I was up until five in the morning one time and I said like six words. <laughs> but I'm like, whatever, it's ridiculous. And then, but that'll happen a lot. And recently, I think the last night I did this, uh, I left at 11 and I felt so proud of myself. So like, I'm hopefully, hopefully I'm getting there. But one thing that I remember, we were at the Beagle Pub and remember we did the show and I think Thomas was on it, uh, but maybe not, but I, I thought so. But the three of us were out front and some asshole came outside and he goes, hey, were you guys the comedians? And we're like, yeah. And, uh, you know, the, the upstairs people paid to see the downstairs. Nobody paid. Uh, but everybody was aware there's a show. And he goes, hey, tell me a joke. And I said, no, we just did that. And he goes, I'm not paying for that. Yeah, I remember that. Like, he, was like, he was like, well, I didn't want to pay to see it. Can you tell me a joke right now? And we were all like, get the fuck out of here. Like, you know just uh verbally abusing this man he was like all right all right <laughs> Did, didn't but, he apologize to you i don't remember uh any man that has come up to me and started a conversation unprompted i immediately block it out <laughs> <laughs> uh except for the i will tell you one time so i was doing uh open mics at the spotlight and uh it had turned into a mixed mic where anyone could do anything they wanted and it actually turned into a lot of rap uh you know there'd be like 10 kids that would come and they they were like a hype squad for like a rapper that would come perform but i met this guy named tex who was like a bigger man and he wore a texas hat and or a cowboy hat and he was probably uh in his 50s or 60s and he was just slamming beers and i was like all right well he's just hanging out at the bar and then he signed up for the mic and i was like oh fuck and then apparently he meant to do comedy, but what he did was just kind of incoherently mumble because he was about eight beers deep by the time he got on stage. So he was just grunting and like trying to say things and everyone was just looking away out of embarrassment. And then I'm so glad that Thomas was there. We go to leave and he's like bugging me because he saw my set and he knows like who I am as a person. And he's like, maybe I could. <laughs> and I'm like, there's no way. So he very drunkenly was like, we should, we should share a bed tonight. And I was like, no, thanks, man. That's all right. He was like, okay, that's fine. Can I walk you to your car? And I was like, I'd prefer not. That's fine. My friend Thomas is here. He's going to walk me to my car. He's a very good friend. Thank you for the nice night. And he followed us. And so Thomas is walking me to my car and he's like walking three or four feet behind us, like stumbling. It's just, I don't fucking get it. Cause I'm not yeah. particularly yeah. good looking. I simply exist. And so all it took was like, I don't know, just showing him an ounce of kindness 
for him to follow me and Thomas to my car. And I just got in and locked the doors and was like, there's no fucking way I'm going to see that guy again. And then he was at the mic the next week. Of course he was. I just had a, like a horrible taste in my mouth. And it's one of those things where you hear women talk about, you know, much worse things happening than that. But something like that is enough to terrify you. Just a, a, a drunken, large man. Like, I'm going to follow you to your car anyway, even though you already said no. But it's like, you never know what's going to happen. I've watched way too much TV to ever think that could I walk you to your car would work on a woman. Right. Like, no, like, absolutely not. Like That never ends well. No. No, I've had, I'm not going to say who it was, but I had someone at a mic walk me to my car uh, and I thought, man, we're friends. I really like this guy. And then uh, about a few minutes later, as we're talking while I'm by my car, he was like, you're kind of cute. And I was like, oh, that's a weird thing to say. Okay. He was like, uh, if you ever want to fuck sometime. And I was like, oh, that's nice. Have a nice night. <laughs> like, You know, it was just... Uh, it was, it just kind of, that left a bad taste in my mouth too. But at the same time, I was like, hmm, that was kind of a compliment, a really creepy compliment that made me feel bad about myself. But hmm, interesting. Is that awkward the next time you see him? Mm, a little bit. Cause like that energy is already set up of like, yeah. I am aware that this person's attracted to me. And uh, we obviously like, I don't know, we overcame it. Like we still friendship blossomed or whatever, but it was always in the back of my mind of like, is he only being nice because of this? I don't, you know. Yeah, I don't approach women at all. Like, I've been told that I give off this asexual vibe, which is fine. You know, I've got three cats. I'm good. That's mean. It's mean. Yeah. yeah. But like, I, I think most of it is like, I'm afraid of rejection. So like, I don't know how to put my, not that I don't know how, but I'm, I'm afraid to put myself out there just in case it doesn't go as I planned. I don't want to swim in the awkwardness. I, uh, I throw myself out there consistently. And it's funny because I used to not do that. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, if I'm interested in someone, usually I'll wait a little while to see like how we get along and if I actually do right. like them. And then at some point, I'll send a message and be like, hey, just so you know. And they're like, no, thank you. No, thank you. Right. No. And I'm like, that's fine. But I've done that so many times now that that rejection is almost like, okay, let's move on. Let's find someone else. You got a checklist? Yeah, like, okay. I got a checklist done, done, done. <laughs> of, like, of like messages, uh, uncomfortable messages that I've sent to men. Uh, <laughs> and it's fine. I almost feel like a, the reverse predator or something. <laughs> <laughs> that's, a good, that's a good name for a TV show. Reverse predator? Yeah. And, and how would that work, Mike? Explain to me the I'm, premise. I have okay. no idea. <laughs> yes, you just think so. You just think it's a funny name. All right. I'm the idea man. You, you go with it. Like, <laughs> all right. I'll build the show. Yeah. Thank you. I, I had a lot of fun. I mean, we could talk afterward, but uh, uh, let's end the podcast. But do you have any any social media to plug? I know you don't have any shows to plug yet. Uh, I don't even. I don't give a shit about social media at all. Oh, good. Which is funny as a comedian to not like you know be on social media. Uh, I'm sure if I get to a point where people are generally asking like, oh, do you have you know? Uh, I am Halcifer on Instagram. I'll give you that. Like uh, like Lucifer, but with the beginning of my name. Uh, very charming. That's, that's about it. Thank you. I have a, a very gay friend that calls me Halcifer, and uh, I was like, that's kind of cute. I am the devil, but all right. I'll take it. <laughs> uh, do you have any messages for my mom? For my mom? My mom. For your mom. Yeah, this um, isn't all about you. My bad. <laughs> messages for your mom. Um, thanks for raising Mike to be a nice person. Cause if he wasn't so nice, he wouldn't put me on shows. Oh, fuck that. I'm not giving her a compliment like that. All right. Uh, thanks for teaching me how to color. Thanks. Like <laughs> <laughs> if anybody taught me how to be a nice person, it's Adam Sandler. Like it's not, it's, it's not Joanne Peters. Like gotcha. she, all she did was, you know, fuel my addiction for McDonald's. 
Like that's that's it. She's like, all right, that was the babysitter. Like you watch TV, and if you're good enough and don't burn the house down, we're gonna give you a Big Mac. I'm like, okay, cool. <laughs> Didn't you say you said in a previous podcast that she'd bribe you to go to church with McDonald's? Yep. yep. McDonald's and a trip to the grocery store. Love it. I used to hate the grocery store. My mom would have to pay me to come in the grocery store. Really? She, she she certainly wasn't. Well, not actually. She she did pay me to join the bowling team in high school because I didn't want to do anything. I didn't have any interests. Yeah. And she was like, please leave the house. So she <laughs> she paid me $20 a week to go bowling. But um, yeah, no, I hate the fucking grocery store. That would have been a punishment for me. Well, my mom knows everybody. So when we went to the grocery store, it, we'd get, you know, 10 feet in the door and she already met a friend. And I'm like, this is my Sunday. Right. It's You're going to be I'd, there for 45 minutes. Yeah. I'd rather go to church. <laughs> But thank you so much again. I, I appreciate Thanks doing for this. Having and, me. and I want on the record that uh, I appreciate the hour and a half we spent this morning talking too. I mean, I feel like we really got to catch up before we actually caught up. Right. We should have just talked about the same exact stuff too. We should have should have got because maybe this would have been better. Personally, I don't think it was that interesting. <laughs> <laughs> Very well. All right. Thanks, Alex. I'll thank talk you to so you much. All right. Bye. Peeling back my sunburnt skin I'll wait outside your bedroom I, I hope they let me in